Well, happy Mother's Day to all the moms in here. I want to recognize first off that I know that today, a day like today can bring a lot of joy and also can bring a lot of pain. There's people here that so desperately want to be moms but aren't those that have estranged relationships with their parents or their mom or other illnesses or have lost moms. And I just, I, I want to acknowledge that I know that today can also be a very difficult day as opposed to just a joyful day of celebrating moms. And we decided today that we were going to just pause on Corinthians. We'll get back into Corinthians next week. And we're going to talk a little bit about family as a whole. And, and the reason for this is I think specifically because of, of days like today, like Mother's Day, like we, we are told by the country that this is what we do is we celebrate. And I think a lot of people spend a lot of money and time when I, I don't necessarily, that's the way it was intended to be started. Uh, Anna Jarvis is the, the woman that conceived of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifices moms had made for the children. And this was in 1908. In 1914 is when it became a national holiday, recognized as a national holiday or a national event. As I was trying to think about like, well, how do we define mom? How do we define family? And why is this so important in the church? I think because a lot of what happens is similar to the church in Corinth, like we've been studying, is culture had kind of woven itself into the church in Corinth and, and so far, so much so that, that the, the individuals in the church didn't look much like God's people. They started looking more and more like the culture. And I think in some ways, if we're not careful, the way that we idealize family, you know, there's people here today that don't feel like they can follow the Lord until they have a family. We, the way that we idealize family, unfortunately, is, is become an idol and, and not the way I believe that God has intended. In fact, I think he, he desires for us not to, to lower our value of family unnecessarily, but to elevate the value of God's family. And that's what we're going to talk about today. As I was looking for definitions of like, what's a good definition of mom? Dictionary.com defined mother as a female parent. I felt like I, this, was a, this slide is a better definition of a mom. So I'll just put that up there for you guys. That's, that's what I think is maybe a good definition of a mom as a whole. But as I was looking at, at ways that we would look at families and how we define families and what we are supposed to be doing in, as, as a follower of Jesus inside the church is that you see multiple kind of, not conflicting again, but parallel texts. We have many scriptures that talk about how we are to operate as families. First Timothy 5.8 talks about how I'm to provide for my family. It's a scripture there. Ephesians 5 tells husbands to love their wives like Christ loves the church and, and, and wives to respect their husbands. And there's these, these commands we see, we see all over. We see in Colossians 3.30 that children are to obey their parents. So there's plenty of ways in which in the scripture, God talks about our family, the way that we would see family in our same last name, in our, in our same home. But the dictionary again says that families are all the descendants of a common ancestor. Or another definition would be a group consisting of parents and children living together in a household. And again, it's not that, that that definition is wrong. It's that I think we put more emphasis and energy into that family when God is very clear in his scriptures about how we are to operate as a family of God. And that's what we wanted to talk about today. See, biblically, I think it's, it's very clear that there is a biological or adopted in or um, this, like under one roof or same last name. We, we see that, but we also see more than that. And one of the issues that was happening in the church in Corinth that we've been talking about is the division that was happening. And a lot of that's because they started setting up factions within themselves and not seeing each other as one family, as one body, as one, one group of fellow believers. And the issues that come with this, guys, when we, when we don't, not that we need to downplay our families unless, of course, we've idolized them, which I think some of us very much have. It's that we need to elevate the view that God has of his family. See, my concern is, is if we don't keep those in the right, right lens within our lives, we end, up, we end up downplaying the redemption that God wants to bring for those that have lost family members. 
God doesn't want to replace them necessarily, but he, he fills in that gap with the family of God. When we, when we start operating, we think, okay, well, I'm, I'm together with my family and I got everything figured out. You, you narrow the lens at which the way God can teach and show and, and, and train and, and give you clarity within the scriptures of how a family is to operate when you have other people speaking into it. Your kids can see other believers and how they operate and how they follow the Lord. It's a really, really beautiful thing. It doesn't change the fact that we are still commanded as parents in Proverbs 22, 6, to train up our children the way they should go, but there's a way in which every child, even in this day when that was written, understood that there was a community of people that were helping them learn things, helping them grow, helping them know things. If we rely just on our biological family, we are short-selling what God is trying to do. In fact, as Christians, we're adopted children into God's kingdom. We see this in Romans 8. It says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, so so we are children. So if this is true, if we are children of God, then we are heirs. And heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. We're we're children of God and fellow heirs with Christ. Before the foundation of the world, God chose us. He he came in this way. And this is this is who we are. We are adopted in. And my fear is is as a church, we've we've minimized the value of the family at church as as if as a community of people for the sake of our, our own biological family. And again, Please hear me on this. The scriptures are very clear. We are to provide and love and care and, and, and to do the things that the scriptures command of us for a family, but it's not in place of us as a church family. And here's, here's why this is important. If you look at scripture, if you look at your life in, in general, if you have, I have a brother and sister, if my brother tomorrow, if my relationship was completely estranged from my brother and we just did not get along at all, we barely could understand or, or like each other, I'm very confident that if tomorrow this happened to me or if it happened to him, I believe we'd step in. If tomorrow we lost our job, lost our family, were homeless on the street, I guarantee that one of us would step into each other's lives. Because you do that for family. Yet as Christians, as children of God, as co-heirs, we have brothers and sisters that are on the streets in this valley, in this world, and we turn a blind eye as if it's someone else's problem. And this is where this gets out of whack. We start missing the fact that this is God's plan for us, is to be a family together. And we get so stuck on whether or not we have kids or what our kids are doing or what my 2.5 kids white picket fence looks like. And we get so individualized that we lose sight of the fact that God is saying, no, I have already created for you mothers and brothers and sisters. It crossed the community of God. In fact, Jesus says this in Matthew 12, 48 through 50. He says, who is my mother? This is when, when his mom and brothers were asking for him. Like, hey, hey, your mom and brothers are outside. They need to see you. He comes out and uses it as a teaching moment. Who is my mother? And who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples. Think about this. His brothers and his mom are standing right there, and he chooses to stretch his hand towards his disciples. He says, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, be be really clear on this. Jesus loved his family. When he's hanging on the cross, one of the last things he does is he looks at his brother John, and says, John, behold your mother. Mary, behold your son. He, he bequeaths his mom to John for, her, for their care for each other. So again, it's not to skirt that responsibility. It's not to do it, but he's saying there's, there's more value in the family of God. And if we don't see that, then we miss out on what God can and, and will do through us. Jesus isn't making a statement that our biologic families are no longer important. Rather, he is stating that following him as, is far greater. 
He takes priority, and so does his kingdom, so much so that those who follow him are counted as his brothers and sisters and mother, his family. When Paul calls Timothy his son, he says, he says, a true child in the faith in 1 Timothy 1-2, it isn't simply a ceremonial belief. This is what he truly, truly lives and understands. I have, I have stepped into the fatherly role of Timothy. He uses in Colossians, he uses brothers and sisters. We see that term over and over again. It's not just some nice thing like, hey, brother, what's up? It's like, no, you are my brother. You are my sister. We are family. We are grafted in. The scriptures tell us that we were aliens and strangers to this world, but we've been adopted in and become home. Like there's many scriptures that talk about the family of God over and over and over again. Ephesians 2, 1 John 3, John 1, Romans 12, Ephesians 1, Hebrews 2, 1 Timothy 5. All of those are scriptures that talk specifically about us being adopted children of God and how we are a family. Problem is ultimately if we don't identify this, what happens then is that there are needs that are needing to be met in the community of God that aren't being met because you don't view them as your family. We talked about this in Corinthians where he talked about how we were building on the foundation of Jesus Christ through the gifts that were given to us for the glory of Jesus. If we're not actually active in each other's lives, we're not building what he commands of us. We're not doing the things he says. Our adoption means that we find a different kind of unity in Christ. It's that we find Christ. We don't have our old identities based on race or class or last name or life situations when we find our identity anywhere other than Christ, our churches will be made up of a warring partisans rather than loving siblings. This is what Corinthians is talking about. When we, when we identify ourselves as, I'm an Angelos and therefore I have nothing to do with you, Smiths or Joes or anyone else out there. That's a, that's a fallacy in, in God's eyes. It's no, no, as a follower of Christ, we are brothers and sisters. We are belonging to each other. When you suffer, I jump in. When I suffer, you jump in so that it doesn't leave room for my life to be going well and saying, yeah, I'm not that interested in jumping in. It's no, that God is doing something for me to help someone else. It's interesting, around 2010, sociologists are starting to call this voluntary kin. It's this idea that you, you make a family out of people that aren't blood-related. We, we do this in our, in our, in our family. We have, we have uncles and aunts to our kids, and we don't use that just as, a, like, oh, they're really, really great people. It's, it's that my, both my brother and sister don't know the Lord. And yes, they are by biology, my children's uncle and aunt, but I want my kids to see an uncle and aunt that know the Lord as well. And it's voluntary kin. In fact, so anthropologists have traditionally called this fictive kin to separate such relationships from true kinship based on blood or law. But the, the tide is changing. Many researchers have recently pushed back against the distinction, arguing that self-constructed families are no less real or meaningful than conventional ones. To illustrate this a little bit better, I wanted to invite someone up today. We're gonna, we're gonna have a little conversation with Caitlin so, Caitlin, go ahead and come on up here if you can. Caitlin asked me, she's, she's just graduated yesterday, right? Woohoo, yep. Yes. Um, she asked me a little over a month ago, she said, hey, you know, this church has met a lot, and this isn't a, a, a plug for, like, way, yay for our church. She just said the Church of God in general. But she said, no, I really have felt... Okay, but God has used that. But ultimately, she said, I really have felt the community here is really, really valuable, and I would love to just share that with anyone in any way, shape, or form. And she wasn't necessarily thinking of being up here, so I was like, well, hey, what about doing it up here? And she obliged, so thank you for that, and thank You're you for welcome. doing that. But before we get started, Caitlin, there's something really, really big happening in six days. Yes. What is that? I'm getting married. Getting married to this guy right here in six days, yes. <laughs> Be honest, did you get married right after graduation so you could always remember your anniversary? No. No, okay, sorry. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to ask you a couple questions. We've talked about these, obviously. Let's, let's catch everyone up. Tell a little bit about your family, your upbringing in the church as a yeah. whole. 
Yeah, so I was raised in the church my whole life, um, and I just didn't know that I was missing anything. I went to church with my family. I went to a private Christian school, um, and yeah, I just didn't really think that I was missing anything until I left the church, or I left um, that school and went to a public high school, and I started going to a Presbyterian youth group with my friends, and it was there that I realized that God wanted an actual relationship with me. Like, that was just lost in my life before that. I didn't know that, and it changed everything. So after that, um, it was this war in my heart of do I continue going to church with my family, like to a place that I'm not being spiritually fed? I don't feel like I'm in community. I'm just going because it's important to my family to go to church together. Um, And I went on a retreat with my high school youth group, and it was there. The Lord spoke really clearly to me and just said, Caitlin, you have to put me above your family, and was like asking me, are you willing to do that? And I immediately said yes, like, Of course, you know, and it was this life-changing moment of I didn't have this battle inside me anymore. And that was really hard for my family. It was really hard for them to understand. And I was concerned even sharing that with you guys because we've been talking about unity as a church. And so I asked Bren, like, this isn't really a message of unity. Like, I kind of left something. I left something that was important to my family. And Bren pointed me to a verse in Mark. I'm going to read it for you all. It's Mark 10, verse 29 through 30. Truly I tell you, Jesus replied, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age. You said something in there that I just want to point out to parents real quickly. She said that she was raised in the church, but she didn't actually see the relationship, and I don't want to fault her parents necessarily, but I want to caution us as parents, right? Many of us can say, well, I bring my kids to church every week. It does not mean that them being here is actually going to do anything with the gospel in their heart. Like, this is a command of us as parents to, to, mm-hmm. to really do that. So just, when it, that was free, sorry. Carry no, on. That's um, <laughs> no, it's really important. Yeah. Um, and I think there's this point where, what, if you don't know something, you can't change. But even just Brent saying that to you all um, is you, you know, if you're not doing that, then now you know, yeah. you know. Yeah. Awesome. Okay. So in light of that, obviously you're going back home. You mentioned me, you kind of go home from college and be like, okay, here I go. Like, I know I'm not going to go to church with my family. I'm going to go to this other church mm-hmm. where you happen to meet some wonderful young man in your life. Right. But I'm going to go to this other church and you kind of dealt with that. Well, catch me up. Like kind of what, or catch them up, I guess. What yes. happened a year and a half ago? So when I was a senior in high school, my mom was diagnosed with cancer and it was really bad um, when they found it. My, I didn't know this until recently, but she was only supposed to have a couple months to live. And by the grace of God, we were given five beautiful, wonderful years with her. My mom means so much to me, um, means so much to me. And so to be able to have that time with her was just a, a pure gift from the Lord. Go ahead and share kind of some of the things that yeah. God has shown you through that time. About, that was a year and a half ago today. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, a year and a half ago, she passed away. And I just was reflecting on how much different this Mother's Day is for me than last year. Like, it is still really hard. You know, I'm a year and a half into the grieving journey, and it doesn't, it doesn't end. Like, 
my mom's not coming back in this earth, so it's not going to, I'm not just going to get over it. But a year and a half ago, you know, I remember crying on the kitchen floor. Like I was terrified to go home for Mother's Day. I was terrified of Mother's Day. And today I woke up and was really grateful to be able to celebrate the woman, the people and women in my life that have kind of stepped in like they haven't filled the role but they've been there for me and lifted me up and that wasn't even possible a year ago like when you're so deep in grief whatever that is the cause of sickness or a job loss or anything it doesn't have to be death but when you're in so deep in that grief you, it's so hard to pour into other people like it's, it's almost impossible um, to be honest and so it is so important when we're doing okay in our lives to pour into other people you know, the people in my gospel community have become brothers and sisters in Christ, not just friends, but, and if they would have just kept to their own individual nuclear families and not reached out to me, not carried me through that time, yeah, I don't know where I'd be. It'd be different. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think in that too, like you had, you had identified, like, you know, you had, you let your roommate be more than a roommate, right? right. Like she became family to you. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and one of the things that she said that was so, so awesome was that she realized, like, because when I was asking her, again, I didn't know how she would receive, like, hey, would you be willing to speak on Mother's Day about the loss of your mom and what this has meant for you? She gratefully obliged. But I was wondering, like, man, what will this mean for her? And the first response she had is she said, you know, like, the church has meant so much for me through this process. Mm-hmm. Like, and again, I'm putting words in your mouth. No, you said it better than good. me. But she said, ultimately, like, who am I to withhold what God has done for someone else that may need it. Like if this story is an, is, is an encouragement to anyone else, that's what I want it to be. And right. so, yeah. Right. And I also think that culture and our world tells us that we can, we can do life on our own. Um, you know, it says just carry yourself up, do what makes you feel good. Like you don't need anybody. Don't listen to anybody else. And that is just a blatant lie. Like from the beginning of scripture, Genesis two eighteen, God says it is not good for a man to be alone. And sometimes being alone doesn't even, it doesn't have to be just yourself. Like if you um, are doing life with a couple other people, or if you're married and raising children or have a boyfriend, like you could still be doing life alone with them if you're not reaching out to community, if you're not, if you're not getting into something greater that God has for you, you know, in spiritual family. In that too, when you had made that decision, that wrestling, because I remember talking with you about mm-hmm. this, Years ago, the idea of like, I'm going to, how do I honor my parents, you know, and still not go to church with them? We had talked a little bit in my office about how things might have been different had you not made that decision prior. So I had the realization this week that, you know, as hard as it was for me to decide to, to, to choose, choose the Lord um, above my family in that, in that instance, um, just how much my faith has grown in the past five years because of that decision. And my mom's not here anymore. Um, and if I hadn't have made that decision, and if I would have, you know, kept going to the church that my family was going to, just thinking that I don't know if I would have been able to have the faith when my mom did pass away. So as you share this, do you have any encouragements to anyone in the room that you want to share mm-hmm. specifically about your story or whatever in general? Right. So obviously we don't get to choose the family that we're born into, but we do have a say in our spiritual family. Um, this church offers a wonderful opportunity to get involved in gospel communities, and each one is a little bit different, but um, my church, my community from the beginning has just reminded me of the verse in Acts, Acts 2, verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, 
which we do. We talk about friends or whoever is preaching it. We talk about that every week. To the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, which we share a meal together every week, and to prayer. We always pray together. And it's just a really beautiful opportunity to pour into other people and to be lifted up. Yeah, and you'd said in that too, you'd said how being willing to share like actual struggling prayer requests, right. like being vulnerable and real amongst yes. your group is what's been really powerful. Right, yeah. yeah. I'd only been there like two or three times and we were going around and doing prayer requests and everyone was just saying what was on their heart and it was big, raw, vulnerable things. And it gave me the opportunity, like because they were being vulnerable, I, I was able to share with them like, I lost my mom. It, was, it had only been a couple months, a couple months ago. And this was to a group of practically strangers. But I knew that they loved the Lord, and then I knew that they were going to care for me, and that the opportunity, because they were being vulnerable and honest, I had the opportunity to do that. You know, I think about my roommate that I'm very close with, and if she has, if she had always put on a face of, everything's okay, I'm great, you know, pretending to be perfect, I wouldn't have been able to be vulnerable with her and break down into her arms, telling her that, um, how badly I desire to go home, clarify that, I mean, heaven, you know, how badly I desire to be with my mom in heaven. If she hadn't have been vulnerable, I wouldn't have felt like it was okay to share that with her. Yeah, so, in a, and you said it already, but a lot of ways, these individuals, you know, the Simmons yeah. become like pseudo parents to you. Again, not replacing your parents, but like they've stepped into that role for you and, yes. and carried those, again, feeling a gap that's so present and so obvious in your life. Again, not replace your mom, but but in doing that, one of the things, and you shared this story, and I put you on the spot last service, and you said, okay, so I'm mm-hmm. going to just assume, I didn't check if it was okay, so I'm going to do it again. But you were talking with me about um, a process again, finally coming back after this, the, the ceremonies and everything that had been done with your mom, coming back to school, coming back here, and coming into church, and you talked about this experience of, of worshiping, and I just think it's a really good encouragement for everyone to hear, so yeah. would you share that again? Is that okay? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. One of the things I love the most about this church is that it does welcome a state of being vulnerable. Most Sundays I'm crying during worship. (laughs) And really, if you can't cry during church, where are you going to (laughs) cry? And one of the very first services back after my mom passed away, I remember worshiping. And the Holy Spirit just gave me the most beautiful gift of being able to worship with my mom. I felt like I could see her stand. I felt like she was right beside me, and we were worshiping the Lord together in a way that I was never able to worship her, worship with her when she was on earth. And I think one of the most beautiful things about my mom being in heaven is that her priorities are absolutely in line with what the Lord wants our priorities to be in line with. And so I just want to encourage all of us to ask ourselves, where is God in my list of priorities? You know, think about your top five priorities, job, family, um, God, uh, God, I don't know, <laughs> money, just all those, all those important things, school, and ask yourself, like, where does God fall on my list of priorities? And ask yourself that every day, and then be honest with yourself. And if you're not okay with where God is falling on your list of priorities, know that you can always change, you know. I think when I heard that story, it was just kind of a, not necessarily a wake-up call, but just a reminder again, like, I don't, I don't ever want my kids to see them as more important than, than, than our God. Mm-hmm. Like, I want them to know that they're valuable, but I want them to know that ultimately, like, he is more valuable than them. And, again, I know it's not, it's not something grieved. It was a very beautiful thing. But in some ways, like, how, like, here's, a, here's a, just a brilliant caution for all of us, right? We don't have to wait 
mm-hmm. to be in the presence of God, to, right. to worship him unhindered. We don't have to wait to stand in obedience and to, to prioritize him as first. And Absolutely. so I think, I think I would encourage you as parents, as I was kind of encouraged to this, was like, I don't want my kids to ever see them take place of God. Like, I don't want to idolize them in that way. I don't want them to be sitting in a church years from now going, man, I really wished I had an opportunity to worship God more wholeheartedly while we were walking side by side on this earth. I know I'll get to do it in heaven, but I really wish we had had that. I want them to not have that, not necessarily regret, but I want them to be able to experience that here as well mm-hmm. as later. So thank you for that, Kaylin. Thank yeah. you for sharing your story. Mm-hmm. Thank you for allowing community to step into your life. That takes vulnerability, and that mm-hmm. takes you being willing to do so. And, and I can't say enough for the Simmons Gospel community. Thank you guys for being such an amazing family to Caitlin. It's been comical over the years as we've met how often she relates it back to something she learned or something that God has done through that community. So you guys have just been phenomenal. So thank you for your guys' leadership in that as well. Thank you. Thank you, Caitlin. Yeah. (laughs) As we begin to view few members of the church as members of our, of our family, our prejudices kind of die away. We no longer see like true unity sets in. We no longer allow our differences to divide. We see them as the value of a family, and we start working in that way. And as we recognize and accept and embrace our new family, we experience the walls of hostility abolished or torn apart. You know, Corinthians has been talking about these fights that have been happening, and a lot of that's because they, they, they lost sight of the fact that they are the temple of God. You are the temple of God. You are the church. And this is a family, and we're meant to do this together. As a family, we're going to do two things that I'm going to ask you guys to partake in. First is we're going to take communion as a body of believers, but I want to do it today I want to do it maybe a little bit differently than we have. It's still back there, and you're welcome to go take it whenever you want. But I want to encourage you that, that no family member here should take it alone. And so if you need to go as a gospel community, if they're, they're here, or if you're friends, or if you just meet a stranger next to you, anyone that is a follower of Jesus, they're your brother, your sister, your uncle. Like, it doesn't matter. You're with them for an eternity. Enjoy it now. And so I want to encourage you guys, when you, when you get a second, to go back and to take communion together. Uh, Jesus, when he was instituting it, this is the scripture, 20, Matthew 26. You guys can go there when you're doing this together as well. Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and then, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. See, when we take communion, we're not only proclaiming what Jesus has done for us, we're proclaiming what he's going to do in the future. And he is actively waiting to partake of this meal with us again. And so when we go back there to take this as, as believers, we're, we're proclaiming that his body and his blood was spilled, his body was broken, his blood was spilled so that we could be a family. So that we don't have to have that void of when, when we lose because death will come, when we lose a, a biologic or nuclear family member, we don't have to have the void to its entirety because, again, God will sustain us through his family. And so I would encourage you guys to do that in a second. And before we do that, I also want to pray for moms. And so every year we do this where we just pray for moms on Mother's Day or pray for dads on Father's Day. And we just want to pray in specific. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to pray through specific scenarios, maybe scenarios of individual moms that are struggling with something specifically or praying for moms that are experiencing something specifically. So when I pray for, for, for people that have lost moms, if you're willing, would you stand up? And just stand up. And if, if someone near you stands up, I would just encourage you to reach your hand out. Just, you don't have to pray out loud. Just pray quietly for them. And again, just stand through the prayer. Again, if you don't want to be that vulnerable, like, well, that's a little scary. That's, that's fine. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for very specific 
situations individually, whether they are struggles or good things, whether you are a mom or not a mom. And if, this, if they apply to you when I say it, I would just encourage you, if you're willing, to stand up. And again, if someone stands up near you, just, just reach out. You don't have to, like, crazy touch them, right? You can still touch them if you know them. But, like, let's just be clear about that, okay? <laughs> Some of you guys are graduating. You're like, I need a spouse. That's not the way to go about it. Okay, sorry. But just reach out and pray for them again. Quietly, I will, I will continue to pray through it. And so if you're, if you're willing. And then at the end of this prayer, the band will come up. We'll take some communion. You guys can take communion as you go after the prayer as well, and we'll worship some more. So would you bow your heads and pray with me? Again, if, as I pray, if any of these scenarios are you, please be emboldened to stand up and allow those to pray around you for you. Father, as we stop today to recognize moms, we need to first come to you for the women in the room that desperately want to be moms but aren't yet. God, we pray that you would do a miracle. God, we pray that they would just trust you and you alone trust your timing. Father, I want to pray for any moms in the room that are afraid of failure. Father, would you help them to fear nothing but you? Father, I want to pray for the single women that so desire to be moms in here but aren't even married yet. Lord, I ask, I ask that you would help these women to, um, to not settle, but to hold relentlessly to you and your timing and trust in your timing alone. God, I pray for those in the room that are awaiting the adoption of their son or daughter. Father, would you please bring their kids home swiftly and safely. God, I pray for the moms that have released children out for adoption. God, would you rest their hearts and show them that your work is still happening in this whole process. Father, I pray for foster moms. Father, would you give them strength and ability to make a lasting effect for your glory in the lives of these kids that you've entrusted to them. Lord, I pray for those that maybe don't know or haven't ever met their mom. God, would you help them to know you better than any hole that this may seem to leave in them? God, for the moms that feel regret, Help them to see your redemption in their futures. Help them to see that you um, are greater than any regret that they may feel. Father, for the single moms, whether they have been widowed or for any other reason, we pray for your grace. Would you fill in the gap that is so felt when doing this on their own? Please remind them that they are not alone and that they do have a family. And God, would you allow, would you convict, and would you push your family to push into those individuals? God, for those who have lost moms, Holy Spirit, please comfort like you promised to do so. For the moms that today would recognize that they just are not present in their homes at all. Help them to see the value of their role that they play over any other role that they may have in this life. Father, I pray for the moms that have lost children, either in the womb or after birth. Father, would you please show them that you are at work and sovereign even in this painful loss for expecting moms or new moms? God, I pray that you would give them peace. Help them to see and know in confidence that you are their strength. For those that, who have had or have abusive moms, God, would you restore what is so, so broken? Father, for the moms that are, are empty nesters or about to be, Help them to trust your leading on their kids' lives. Help them to have their identity so rooted in you that they don't get lost in this season. 
Lord, I pray for moms that don't have the support of their husbands, either spiritually or just being present at home. God, would you grab the heart of these men in a way that only you can? Would you help these moms to be patient and to see your working in their hearts? God, for, for the moms that continually compare themselves to other moms, would you help them to see themselves as fearfully and wonderfully made? Help them to identify their worth and value and identity as children of you, and that's it. Help them to be the moms that you created them to be. God, for the spiritual moms who have played the role of moms to so many, thank you. Thank you for being obedient to the Spirit and filling in the gap when it's so necessary. For the moms that have messed up in a big way or are messing up in huge ways, help them see you as the Redeemer that you are. Help them to understand that your grace is greater than any mistake they make. For the moms that have children that have walked away from relationship with them, Lord, would you do what only you can do and restore and reconcile relationship? And for the moms who have unbelieving children or the kids with unbelieving moms, Father, would you bring them home to your family? Would you save them for your glory and your glory alone? May we never tire of praying for our children that don't believe or praying for our parents that don't believe. God, we plead with you that you would do what you do best, redeem, heal, show up, and remind us, remind each of these women that you are enough, that you are present. God, would, would they feel your ever-present hand in their lives today? God, we thank you for being more than enough. We praise you for the work you are doing in the lives of each of these women in this room. And God, we praise you for the women in this room that are just pillars of your faith. We love you, Lord, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.